here, church. Come on. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. This is our prayer and our hope this morning that as we come that we would know this, that he will reign forever. Amen? Amen. Amen. That's the gratitude of our hearts, and that's why we worship. That's why we sing. That's why we come before him now. So let's just go to the Lord right now. Just wherever it is that you are, just here in the quietness of this moment, what is it that you need to bring before the Lord this morning? What question do you have that you want to bring before him? What situation do you have that you want to lay before his feet? Just ask him now that as we behold him, as we adore him, that you would now hear from him. So Father, here in this place, Lord, we worship you, we praise you, we stand in awe of you. And God, our hearts now are open to hear from you. Lord, so that we can give our yes to you in fullness of obedience, God, with hearts full of joy and gratitude. God, speak powerfully to us and over us here in this place now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Man, what a great day to be here in the house of the Lord, amen? Amen. I love the times that we have that we can worship together, that we can be in the word together, but be encouraged as one another, as the people of God, to just be on mission together as we seek to declare the living, powerful name of Jesus. And uh, I'm grateful once again for Pastor just to provide the opportunity uh, to fill the pulpit in his absence. I know that you'll be praying for him and Pam uh, throughout the rest of this week. Uh, he looks forward to being back with us next week and opening the word together with us. But right now, this morning, I just wanna invite you to turn to Isaiah chapter nine. Isaiah chapter nine, just as we kinda continue from where we were last week in Isaiah seven, and moving into this next chapter here of this prophetic book. And if you remember from last week, if you weren't here, uh, you know, definitely if you get a chance, uh, you know, kind of check out where we were last week. But Isaiah 7, 14 was really one of our main verses. And it just simply says this. It says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. As we looked last week, we know that Emmanuel means God with us. We looked at this passage and really the confidence that we can have as we put our trust in Emmanuel, in the reality and the truth that God is with us. But there's some power that exists behind this. And this morning, my hope and my desire is for us as a people of God to begin to understand that as we trust in Emmanuel, that what we are trusting in is someone powerful, and, and, and that in that, that something powerful has then happened to us, for unto us, as we're going to see this morning. And, and, and just that powerful declaration that Isaiah gives to us, that for unto us is born this day. And, and, and I began to think about this as I was studying and as I was preparing, you know, because some of us in here have, have children, we have multiple children, and, and, and in that, there's something that happens to us in that. I, I was thinking back to June 28th of 2011, and, and the very first moment that I held Emma Grace in my hands. And, and that was something that happened to me. I remember the craziness of that day. We went in, we packed like all these bags and had all of this stuff planning for Nan to be induced, thinking that we would kind of be there for the long haul. We got Nan checked in, got her situated. I went to Chick-fil-A to get breakfast. Um, I gotta stay in, you know, 
you know, in rhythm. And, and so I went to go get breakfast. And when I did, I came back and they said, hey, we're gonna do a C-section. So you need to like change and get ready right now. And, and so we went from planning something that was gonna be an extended period of time to literally within like a two hour window, I was in scrubs. I called all the people we needed to call. I said, if you wanna see this baby, you better get here right now. And, and, and so all of that and the chaos of that, well, that didn't happen to you. That happened for unto us. That's what Nan and I experienced in that moment. I think back to August 23rd of 2013 when, when my son Jacob was born. That was completely scheduled. He was born here at Winnie Palmer. If you've never had a child at Winnie Palmer, that's like having a child at the Waldorf Astoria, it feels like to me. And, 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 and I remember all of that and how that was, how that came to be and that was scheduled and, and planned out. I remember Emma Grace when she first went into dance and, and, and the very first day that she was there and, and she was all sassy and, and and you know, and Immigrace doesn't dance anymore, but here's what I know about Immigrace, she wants to be on the stage. She wants to be in front of people, she has my personality in that. You don't know that, that's what that happened to Nan and I. Jacob, in his first soccer game, this kid loves sports, but more importantly, he loves to win. And, and so, so we get to experience that competitive nature that, that he has and that he you know, has in his bones. Sometimes it's great, other times, like this, this soccer season, he got so competitive that he found himself sitting on the bench. And, 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 and you know, and so, but, but here's the deal. You don't have to have to experience that. We, it happened for unto us. It's what Nan and I experienced. Their first day of school, you know, you saw a picture up there, that was their first day of school this past year. You know, Emma Grace loves to be at school. Jacob loves to be anywhere but school. That's what Nan and I get to experience. Halloweens, our kids love for us to dress up with them. People ask me all the time, they say, how long are you gonna dress up with your kids until they tell us to stop doing it? And, and, and so, so, you know, I, I'll, I'll put on, yep, I was wearing makeup in that picture. First time, first time we took them to Auburn. You know, I know there's not a lot of Auburn fans in here, but we're Auburn fans. And, and, and when they first went, and then, and then just last week, that picture, I, I, I just think about how much I love my kids. And that was just last week. Excuse me, I didn't think I could get that emotional on that. Amen. But just my kids, man, Amen. and how much they love me, and how much they love Nan. You know, and that was a crazy day last week. Nan was out of town, so I had both kids and, and preached three times in that day. Never once did my kids complain. They had to get up at 6 a.m. and get here with me Sunday morning and they were here until a little bit after nine because we, we preached at Kaleo. They sat there the whole time, never complained, never had an issue with it, just enjoyed being there. And here's the thing, you didn't get to experience that, I got to experience that because it, they're, they're my kids and they're Nan's kids and they were born for unto us. See, Nan and I, we get to take part in every aspect of who they are the benefits, the, the highs, the lows, every aspect, because there are kids, they were born unto us. But in Isaiah chapter nine, 
what we will begin to see this morning, verses one through seven, one of the most famous passages in all uh, of the book of Isaiah, it will begin to put out for us the hopes and the dreams of the world that, that, that the world has, that the world is looking for, for something, that the world is searching for something, and that what has happened is that everything that the world is searching for, everything that our hearts long for, has happened in Jesus for unto us. God accomplished an incredible feat through the birth of a child. And, and, and so we looked last week, we saw that he would be Emmanuel, God with us, and this week we will begin to see what happened as that child was born unto us. And, and that out of disaster, out of darkness, out of despair, that God is going to bring final victory. That God is going to bring ultimate, ultimate joy into our hearts and into our lives. As we see here, we're gonna see the promised Messiah, the one who will reign over the people of God with the kind of justice and righteousness that there is no human could ever achieve. We're gonna look at Jesus Christ, the perfect ruler of the world, and that the government will be on his shoulders. So what then is it this morning that has been born unto us? We're not just telling you this morning that you should trust in God. We talked about that last week, uh, that we're trusting in God because God is with us. But here's what is available to you as you put your trust in him. And the first is just this this morning. It is life-giving light. Life-giving light. Look at verses one through two of Isaiah chapter nine. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. So Isaiah 8 ended with darkness and gloom of kind of a corrupt and wicked people that, that were seeking anything other than the wisdom of God. People who were roaming the earth, angry and in despair and cursing God. Isaiah mentions here the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, the Galilee of the nations, the Gentiles, and, and, and as a people walking in darkness. Ephesians 2.12 really references a people living without hope and without God in the world. But suddenly, God says, let there be light and there is light. And so this was nothing less than the light of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians 4, 6. He says, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. So God enters into the darkness, says, let there be light. And so now what we're beginning to see with Christ coming, that the glory of God is revealed in the face of Christ so that there is no more darkness for you and I. Picture, if you will, this idea, and all of us experienced this this morning, where we awoke in the darkness. Your alarm went off at whatever time it goes off, at, at four, five, six, seven, you know, 30 minutes ago for some of you maybe. And, and, and however that happened, you found yourself in the darkness. And then you did what majority of us do. You, you stumbled, you found your way to, to the closest area or to the closest light switch and you turn the light on. Think back to what that was like, how, how you adjusted into that moment and, and how all of a sudden the darkness was no more, your eyes were adjusting to light and then you went from not being able to see anything to being able to see everything. 
This is what's taking place. Jesus came in in power of perfect teaching and of signs and wonders. And, And he started in the dark of Galilee, the people walking in darkness, it says there. Jesus called himself the light of the world. He revealed himself first in the synagogue in Galilee, saying that the spirit of the Lord was on him. Not only to be a shining light in a dark place, but to recover sight for the blind by releasing prisoners from darkness in direct fulfillment of the prophecy of Isaiah 61. He performed his first miracle in Cana of Galilee, changing water into wine, and then in Matthew 4, verses 23 through 25, we see that Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering with severe pain, the demon possessed, those having seizures and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across Jordan followed him. Jesus entered into the darkness where where people were wandering in darkness and brought about a great light. In in verse two here of chapter nine, there's kind of this poetic royal birth announcement, if you will. The verse contrasts those who are walking in darkness with those who will see a light of hope in the future. So we don't have yet the light being identified, but it's a sign of hope and a sign of deliverance from the darkness that pervaded the land. The light was a sign that God had not completely given up on his people, that a new day of hope and a light will eventually arrive. Elsewhere, we see in Psalm 27, one, that God is the light. Psalm 119, 105, that God's words are a light. Later in Isaiah 60, verses one through three, we see God's glorious coming to his kingdom pictured as a light. And and, and so church, can I just tell you here, I, I think that there are some times and, and the culture around us can, can pervade into our thinking that it is very easy for us to be despaired by the darkness. Amen? There's, there's no doubt about that, that we look at the things that are happening around us and that it causes us to be discouraged or despaired because there is, nobody likes being in the dark. It's not just a child thing to, to be afraid of the dark. Nobody likes to just sit in permanent darkness. And so we get captured by that and we get so enthralled by it. But what scripture is reminding us of here is that if we have put our trust in Emmanuel, God with us, that then what has been born unto us is a life-giving light so that the darkness cannot penetrate into the depths of our soul because Christ resides there and the glory of God has been put upon us through the face of Christ who we have seen and he's risen us to life in his name. So that means that there's hope in that for us. And that means that we don't have to be despaired. We can be on our knees. We can be on our knees praying for God to intervene in the souls of man. But as we do that, we do it from a place of confidence that the light of God has brought us to life in his name. And the darkness has no power over us. But here's here's what that life-giving light does. The second thing that I want us to see. What has been born unto us is overpowering joy. Overpowering joy. Look at verse three of Isaiah chapter nine. It says, you have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. 
They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. So because of this light that is shining into the darkness, the people then respond with overpowering joy. It says the nation is enlarged, that the people rejoice as on a day when a great war had ended in total victory with, a, with abundance of plunder for everybody. The joy that he's likening it to there is in the day of Midian's defeat, which you can read about in Judges 6 through 7, where Gideon defeated the overwhelmingly, the oppressive Midianites with, with just a small army of 300 men where they just saw God just rip through the darkness. You, you can read this account of it, it's amazing. The evil forces of Midian and their army, they turned on themselves and ended up destroying one another. And so as a result there, it says there again, the oppressive yoke and the rod on their shoulders, the staff of their oppressor was shattered. And then all the trampling boots and the bloody garments were destined for the fire. There is an explosion of joy and rejoicing because of the victory in which the people had experienced. And that overwhelmed them and ultimately was overpowering to them. Think, if you will, those of you that are football fans, so as I mentioned earlier, Nan and I root for Auburn University. And if you're, if you're familiar with college football, um, Auburn has this tradition, and we haven't practiced it a lot this year, but they have this tradition that every victory that they will take toilet paper and they will roll what's called Tumor's Corner. Anybody ever seen this? Okay, some of you. So, so, so some of you are thinking, this is the craziest thing I've ever heard. It is. And, and, and so you can walk you know, down Tumor's Corner after an Auburn victory, and it is just littered with toilet paper all over the place. Some of you who are like really OCD, you're thinking, who cleans that up? And, and, and I don't have an answer to that question. But... But I, I, I remember, you know, just kind of like in, in, in 2000, the season of 2010 and the season of 2013, just kind of everything that Auburn went through and, and just how much like chaos there was at that corner. So some of the victories that they experienced, some of the things that they went through, you know, they won a national championship in 2010, they played for one in the 2013 season and, and, and there was this explosion of joy because of the victory in which they experience. But understand this and think about this. That explosion of joy is never known at the start of a game. They don't know if they're going to throw toilet paper everywhere. As the people of God, we don't enter into our time of worship to behold our God wondering what the outcome is going to be. So if a football team and football fans can have an explosion of joy for victory that they didn't know they were going to have at the start of the game, what then as believers do we possess when we put our faith and trust in the God of gods and the King of kings and the Lord of lords who we already know has won the day and is victorious? This is the overpowering joy. And so, once again, it's not about happiness. See, happiness is a fleeting feeling that will go away. I'm not happy all the time, folks. 
And I'm sorry to disappoint you. Like, I, I'm just not. There are days where I am not happy, but I am forever joyful. Joyful in the circumstances where I could be my most unhappy. Why? Because I know that there is victory on the other side. So whether I live or breathe, whether I win or lose, no matter what the situation may be in my personal life, I know that I serve a risen king who has complete and total victory that overpowers the joy in my life. So it then gives me the ability to face anything. This is the death and resurrection of Jesus has defeated Satan and the unbreakable yoke of sin and death. That's why the writer in Hebrews says this in Hebrews 2, verses 14 through 15. It says, since the children have flesh and blood, he too, meaning Jesus, shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death. That is the devil and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Overpowering joy it means you and I can face anything. We could stand in the midst of anything. Why? Not because we can, but because we have joy in the one who did. The third thing I want us to see this morning, what's been born unto us is an unmatched savior. An unmatched savior. This is the passage, Isaiah 9, 6. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called, say it with me church, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Man, we just say amen and walk out on that, you know? This is perfect proof of the deity of the Messiah. It's the doctrine of the incarnation. This was a stumbling block for the Jewish opponents of Jesus. But this is the conqueror who, who wins this stunning victory. It's just a child, a, a, a son born. And he's described here, and we're gonna take a look at him in these kind of unforgettable string of these four couplets, if you will, that, that mix together humanity and deity in this in phenomenal balance here. But the humanity of the Savior is established in these words, for a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us. The fact that he has come for us to benefit us is established in these words. It's just as the angel said to the shepherds in Bethlehem in Luke 2.11, today in the town of David, a Savior has been born. To who? To you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. So this conqueror is gonna be a child born, a son given on the shoulders of this child, is laid the weight of the government of his people. He, at last, is the answer to the quest for a perfect and lasting government. Like on his shoulders, he's gonna bear the weight. And on the shoulders of this child, he's not going to buckle. That's why Matthew 28, 18, Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So next then comes, in this, in this verse here, this kind of, Phenomenal series of four couplets, four pairs of words that are linked together. It is a mingling, if you will, of the supernatural and the natural uh, of God and man. Because I think the question would be fair here today. If you're here and you're searching, and, 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 and this is your first time ever in church before maybe, and you're thinking to yourself, how, how is this Savior unmatched? I think that's a fair question. You know, because like we, we live today, like my name is Timothy Michael Dix. My name is unique to me, but my name is also not unique. There are other people that have the name Timothy. Some people here in this room. 
Other people that have the name Michael, people in this room, you, you've got that name. There are even, as, you know, as not normal as my last name is, there are people who have my last name. Uh, there's a football player, Ha Ha Clinton Dix, um, who every time he comes on the screen, like Jacob or Emma Grace will say, hey, are we related to him? I'm like, no, we're not. But, but just because they see that last name. And so, so we all deal with that. We all have that. There are people that share our names that, that have the same last name as us or the same first name or middle name. And, and, and maybe they do the same things that we do. And, and so, so there's never a moment where somebody else is not carrying maybe a name that we have. But hear me on this this morning. There is no one else in this next string of words that we're gonna look at who carries this in their name other than Jesus Christ. Nobody else. He stands alone. He's unmatched in this. So it's wonderful counselor there first. That word translated wonderful just refers to the ability to work supernatural signs. Coupled with the word counselor there refers to kind of the giving of wise advice as kings would do. So the suggestion here is that the son's life is going to exhibit the miraculous acts of God employed in kind of this sphere, if you will, of wise planning or decision-making. And so since God is the source of all miraculous events and his plans are the wisest counsel to follow, God is going to work in and through his son to demonstrate his extraordinary wisdom to plan wonderful, miraculous things. And, and, And so this then becomes, this idea of the wonderful counselor becomes then the answer to yours and my questions or yours and my doubts. You know, we've got questions here in this room this morning, questions about situations and circumstances that are going on in our lives. Maybe we've got doubts that we're experiencing in our lives. Well, who are we to take those to? You know, you, you, you can't just call up anybody and, and, and they're just gonna give you everything that you need to know right there in one setting. But you can always turn to the wonderful counselor, to the one who works the miraculous events in our lives and also is the wisest counsel to follow in our lives and know that that's where the answer is going to be found. The questions that you have, turn to Jesus. The doubts that you're experiencing, turn to Jesus. That's what has been born unto us is a wonderful counselor that in life's biggest questions and life's biggest doubts, we have that access as we put our trust and faith in him. So he's a wonderful counselor, but he's also mighty God. He is mighty God. That word God ascribed to someone who is a child that's been born clinches for us the doctrine of the incarnation, that Jesus was a human baby who was also called mighty God. That word translated mighty was common uh, for powerful men, like warriors who could carry the day by the power of their military prowess. But then you take that natural word that is descriptive of great power, but then you see that word translated God was translated, it's absolutely divine. It's the most common word in the Hebrew Bible for deity. And what these words show us is the infinite power of Jesus Christ, the infinite power of our Savior. It's what John was foretelling in Revelation 19, 11 through 16. He says, I saw heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called faithful and true. With justice, he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He's dressed in a robe dipped in blood and his name is the word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white 
white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. He is yours and my mighty God. There is no situation in which we face that he can't overcome. There is no dilemma in which we are, are sitting at and staring at right now that he can't overcome. He defeats every enemy. He defeats every fear. He defeats every circumstance and every situation. And that's not something that is to come. It's something that's already happened because he is yours and my mighty God. He's been born unto us, church. Born unto us the mighty God. He's also everlasting father, everlasting father. Again, just that mingling of the natural with the supernatural. That title father is an everyday word, but to couple it with eternal or everlasting makes it supernatural. A father who is going forth is from eternity past and he will continue as a father forever. I, I, I've shared this before in, in dealing with college students. I'm seeing this more and more every single day in my life that there is a longing for connection and for belonging in our culture today. That, that people want to be loved, they want to be seen, they want to be known. And, and so here's what I know. I'm father to two children. I am connected in Christ as brothers and sisters to the body of believers. And so while I have my children that I can be a father to, I can't be a father to everybody. There's only one who can do that who can be the eternal, everlasting father. He's the answer to the longing in which you have right now. He's the answer to the connection in which you are seeking to find love and worth and value, to be known, to be seen. Why? Because he's the one who created you. He formed you in your mother's womb. He sees you, he knows you, he's ordained every single step of your life. He is your everlasting father. And then the final thing, the prince of peace. Prince of peace. Jesus reigns as a prince, a common word for a government official, but he's gonna be a ruler who brings peace and is characterized by peace. So this is the very thing that most warlike kings can never bring about. But Jesus speaks peace to his disciples after his resurrection victory. He says in John 20, he says on, on, in verse 19, he says, on that evening of the first day of the week when the disciples were together, the doors were locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. In verse 21, Jesus said again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. You read down in John 20, verse 26, a week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Through the, though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you with you. He said it to them after his resurrection victory, but don't lose sight of it. He said it before he ever went to the cross in John 14, 27. He said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. But Jesus also gives eternal peace with God by his death on the cross in Romans 5, 1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. He's the prince of peace. Some of you here this morning are, are dealing with a lot of restlessness, maybe a lot of storms. And, what, and, and this is so, such a beautiful thing about Christ. 
is that Jesus is meeting you in that storm. And his word to you is just simply peace. Peace is what I'm bringing to you. It's what's been born unto us, church. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, and the prince of peace. And he is the unmatched savior. He's the only one that can bring that into your heart and into your life. So the final thing this morning for us to see as what has been born unto us is a gloriously great God. Look at verse seven. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. Just underline that phrase there. There will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So this is the supernatural yet natural conqueror who comes to rule. And so what's the nature of his kingdom? Verse seven describes it perfectly. The Christian Standard Bible says the dominion will be vast and his prosperity and its prosperity will never end. Uh, the more dynamic translation of this is in the King James Version that just says this, of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. So what's the increase of Christ's government? How is it that it will never end? Well, that Hebrew word translated increase or vast gives a sense of ever-growing abundance. Uh, 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 the idea of multiplication, really, that you would have seen in Genesis 1, 28. So Christ's kingdom is going to be characterized by the never-ending multiplication of its prosperity. We will never stop increasing in our love for him. We will never stop increasing in our passionate, knowledgeable worship of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So it, it, this is the greatness of it. He's gonna reign on David's throne and over his kingdom in direct fulfillment of the promises that were made to David in 2 Samuel chapter 7 and verses 13 and 16. God promised David that a son from his own body would have a throne that God would establish forever. And so Jesus then comes and fulfills that promise by reigning as a son of David for all time. This is the greatness of the throne of God. This is the greatness of the God in which we serve. David himself is gonna be on his face before this infinitely greater son, worshiping him with the rest of the redeemed forever. Jesus will establish and sustain it with justice and with righteousness. His kingdom is a perfect reflection of his own character, which is said in Hebrews 1, eight through nine, your throne, O God, is forever and ever, and the scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of justice. You've loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. He, he is, he's the greatest. You know, I, I, if you follow sports or really anything nowadays, they've, they've come up with this terminology called the GOAT. Some of you are laughing because you know. GOAT just stands for greatest of all time. And so there's now this debate on everything now. Like, is this person the GOAT? Is it Jordan or LeBron, Brady or Montana, Coke or Pepsi, you know, Apple or Microsoft? You know, what, what, what is it? You know, is it the mountains or the beach? You know, and, and I know there's people that travel in here, and so you could give your opinion on what is the GOAT? Who's the greatest of all time? Or what is the greatest of all time? Can I just tell you that all of those debates, while they may be fun in the moment, they're fleeting forever because there's gonna come a day where somebody else will take that person's place. You know, uh, somebody is gonna take the place of a Brady or Montana. Something's gonna take the place of a Coke or Pepsi. 
Some of you are like, no, we can't. And, and no, there will. You know, something else will come and take the place of these things that are temporal here on earth. But when we have a conversation of the greatest of all time, it begins and it ends with Jesus because there is no expiration date and eternity is at stake. And so this is it. The kingdom of God was established the moment that Christ came to earth and it's never going to end. And what guarantees these things that are going to certainly come to pass, it's the zeal of the Lord of armies who will accomplish this. As Isaiah tells us, God's zeal for the glory of his son will make this happen forever. And there is no power in heaven or earth or under the earth that can stop it. This is what's been born unto us, church. This is the power in which we have. And so this morning then, we just need to understand that the victory of Jesus Christ over sin and death and hell in the grave, it's total and it's complete. That Christ did it alone, that there was nobody that helped him so that all of the glory would go to him. As in the day of Midian's defeat, where the armies plundered each other, Jesus caused Satan's kingdom to destroy itself. He gives us the plunder forever, eternity, life, peace, joy, righteousness, good counsel. All of these things were born unto us. And so we should rejoice in this. There's an assurance in this reality today that, that as God has given a promise to David, God gives us the same promise today. That there was a hope and encouragement to Isaiah and his followers for them to continue to speak about the things of God. That even if most people wouldn't listen or even if most people wouldn't comprehend, to continue to declare and proclaim the greatness of God Almighty. And God's promise this morning, it brings peace and justice to the world through his Messiah. And that's a message for you and I today. It's a message of encouragement for us today because while the days may seem dark, our Savior is still on the throne. That, that while the questions may still linger, that Jesus is the answer, the way, the truth, and the life. You know, I, I, I love Christmas. Anybody love Christmas? Yeah, I, I love it. I, I, I love the lights and, and, and I, I, I love everything, but I, I love to give presents. You know, now I love to get presents, but, but I love to give, I love to give presents. We wrapped presents for our kids uh, last night and uh, as we have kind of, you know, gotten close to finishing up our shopping. But you know, if, if you remember um, when you were a kid, if you were like me, you always had like one present that you saw that you were trying to kind of figure out like, what is that? Maybe it was a big present and they're gonna, they're gonna bring something out that kind of helped me here. But you know, and so you, you kind of like, you saw it, it was there. Thank you, Jordan. And so you didn't really know, um, you know, kind of what, what's in it. Maybe you shook it, you know. And, and if you're like me, I like save the best for last. So I, I'm the weird guy. If we sit down and we eat a steak dinner together, I'm gonna eat all the sides and I'm gonna save the steak for last. Um, that, that's, that's the way I operate. And so I, I'm like this with Christmas presents. So if you put a big gift in front of me, then I'm waiting and I'm gonna open that last because I'm anticipating something glorious. And so I did this all throughout my childhood. And, and, but you know what the funny thing is, is there sometimes, because we don't know what's in it. Anybody have any idea what's in here? No, you can't, you can't see it. I'm shaking it. You can't really tell. Now, my son likes Legos, so if it's a big Lego set, he knows. He's like, oh, that's Legos. And um, I'm like, give him a box of just like, you know, rocks and let him shake it around. But, 
And you know, as we, it's like, and so we wait and we wait, we're anticipating it, we're anticipating it, and we get there on Christmas morning, and we like get here and we, we flip that top off, and then all of a sudden, and then out, we pull out some socks. How many of you, that's your story on Christmas morning? The biggest present there is, and it's socks. And can I just be real? That's disappointing. It, 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 it's, it's not the best thing in the world. You know, you were excited, but then you got the socks. But there are times in our lives where what we are anticipating it's gonna to fail to meet our expectations. I think all of us in here have experienced that in some way, shape, form, or fashion. But can I just offer you this hope this morning? We don't have to anticipate with God. The beauty of what we have seen in Isaiah 9, verses one through seven, is that what we're called to do this morning is not to anticipate what could potentially be in the box, but it is just to simply trust and acknowledge what has already been opened and freely given to you and to me. And it is just to acknowledge and just simply say, the wonderful counselor has been born unto us. The mighty God has been born unto us. The everlasting Father has been born unto us and the prince of peace has been born unto us. Life, joy, the unmatched savior and a great and glorious God. Church, this is the message of hope for Christmas, but not just for Christmas day, but for every day. So will you put your trust in him right now? So with heads bowed and eyes closed. Maybe today you needed to hear this message. Maybe you just needed to be reminded of this is what it is that Christ has done for me. Just want you to just meet with him. But if you've heard the message of Jesus here today for the first time, you've heard the message of the gospel, I just wanna give you the opportunity to pray and surrender your heart and soul and life over to him. You can just simply say, Jesus, I get it. You've been born unto me. And in that, I have access to a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. I wanna give my heart and soul and life to you now. Would you save me? Forgive me and give me life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. You can find more sermons and other information at crosslifechurch.com.